Coming up this week on Sporting Journal Radio. Targeting fish in deep water isn't necessarily a catch and release fishing. I thought you were just testing me. Oh, I thought it was a test. Oh, sorry. Once those fish hit about 10 feet when the, the bottom of the net was starting to bring them to the surface, they just turned on their sides and floated up. I fish, I hunt, and always will. Broadcasting from the Alclair Outdoors Studios. Presented by OnX. Know where you stand with OnX. We're not just a radio show anymore. This is Sporting Journal Radio. Heck yeah, it is. Welcome to the show. I'm Brett Amundsen. Thank you for tuning in on this station right here by downloading the podcast or maybe watching this on YouTube. Make sure you like us on YouTube. Give us a subscribe. We're about to break that thousand subscriber. Maybe by the time you watch this, we're over that thousand subscriber mark. And we'd like your help to get over it. So thank you very much uh, for doing that. I'm Brett Amundsen. That's Dan Amundsen over there. Dan, how you doing? Hey, good. Not sure date. <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> it's a man of Outdoor many. Outdoor show. Man of many words. Dan Amundsen, ladies and gentlemen. David Eckhart, I don't think he's made it out of the food plot yet since last week. Let's take a look at our live David Cam. Nope, right. still there. Still there. <laughs> look at him go. Man, he drives that thing fast. He probably HD'd it and turboed it and... <laughs> Whatever else David Eckert does to machines. That guy can build anything he wants. He probably built that four-wheeler. <laughs> probably. Doesn't look like the same one that he puts tracks on, though, does it? it? It doesn't. Oh, man, he's got two four-wheelers. Look, he's already in a new food plot. Look at that. Holy <laughs> smokes. That four-wheeler's fast. All right. If you're watching this, you know what we're talking about. If you're not watching this, use your imagination. Or go watch it on YouTube. Uh, food Plot Tips with David coming next week here on Sporting Journal Radio. Uh, thank you very much for tuning in. we got a cool show for you. Uh, when we were at the Minfish Summit at Clam a while back, um, there was a, some, some research being done in, uh, with the DNR in conjunction with uh, some of the guys at Linders. Uh, Jeremy Smith was a part of a project where they were filming uh, a study on barotrauma effects on crappies and what depth barotrauma might occur, what you can do to try to avoid uh, having a fish suffer through barotrauma, what you can do to try to help a fish recover, etc. We're going to talk about all of that with Jeremy coming up this week and uh, find out kind of his thoughts on fishing when you might have a situation of barotrauma and what you can do and what tools you might be able to use to help a fish out. Uh, that's all on the way. Plus, Joe Henry is going to talk about fishing up at Lake of the Woods in a little bit. But first, Dan, who are this week's sponsors? This week, Live Target Lures. Match the hatch at LiveTargetLures.com. Lake of the Woods Tourism. Lake of the Woods is the walleye capital of the world. Plan a trip for this summer or maybe starting in fall or winter at lakeofthewoodsmn.com. Haybell Heights Campground and Resort. Book a trip to Devil's Lake. Learn more at haybellheights.com. Ottertail Lakes Country. Find your inner otter at ottertaillakescountry.com. And Prairie Sportsman. Uh, watch episodes anytime at the Prairie Sportsman YouTube channel or check your TV guide for local air times. That's right. I got an assignment from for you, a homework assignment. For me? For Well, no, you're, you've already accomplished this. Okay. You've already done it. Uh, for you watching this or listening at home, I have oh, it's one, two, I actually have four YouTube channels for you to follow. Subscribe to and follow. One, Sporting Journal Radio. You may be watching this on it right now. Thank you very much. Two, Fish Hunt Forever, which we've got some brand new videos there, fishing around uh, Minnesota and beyond. In fact, we put up a video recently of going up to Tazan Lake Lodge uh, last summer as we got ready to film a new season of Tazan TV. Um, we also have, Dan went out and fished. How many lakes did you fish at the opening of the walleye season this year in Minnesota? Four. And you filmed at all of them? We filmed at all of them. We ended up with three videos out of the four lakes. Changed plans a little bit, but that's what we came up with. And those are all available now? Yeah, you bet. They've been available for a couple weeks now, so Check go, em. Uh, go watch them. So there's YouTube channel number two, Fish Hunt Forever. Number three is Prairie Sportsman. There you go. Uh, make sure you, you can watch all the episodes from pretty much all the seasons, at least going back 
boy, six or seven seasons probably on there. Uh, and all the new, the latest season, all the episodes are up there as well too. Prairie Sportsman on YouTube and one more YouTube channel, Tazin Lake Lodge. Ladies and gentlemen, you can watch the new season of Tazin TV there. And you're going to be hearing us talk about Tazin TV quite a bit over the summer because we're heading up there next month in July. And uh, our guest this week, Jeremy Smith, is also going to be heading up there. They're going to be filming uh, some episodes uh, up there while they're... Uh, while they're fishing, Linder's Angling Edge, they're going to be filming up there, and some other shows the crew will be filming as well, too. So we're pretty excited about that. Uh, and what else we got going on, Dan? Should we just get into Jeremy? Should we just bring him on the show? Yeah, I don't know. My life, Our lives are kind of boring right now. I don't even know what we're doing. I can't, I can't even turn the camera on. Hang on. There it is. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Well, let's just, turn, let's just talk to Jeremy. He's more interesting than us. Let's get it started right now. Kodiak, a North American waterfowl film, is coming to the Fish Hunt Forever YouTube channel. I've been a sea duck hunter for about 30 seconds, and I've already got one that's probably going to go on the wall, so this is the coolest duck hunt I've ever been on. Presented by Boss Shot Shells, with support from Sitka and Beretta, and additional support from Alclair Outdoors, High Prairie Animal Arts, and the Association of Great Lakes Outdoor Riders. Watch Kodiak on the Fish Hunt Forever YouTube channel. 852 million acres of public land, 147 million private properties, all in the palm of your hand. The number one hunting GPS app just got better. With hundreds of custom map layers, 3D and topographic maps, you can easily scout on the road or at home before you go. And now you can get important weather details, CWD detection, and even know what crops have been planted where. Get the most trusted hunting GPS app ever made. Onyx. Know where you stand with Onyx. Devil's Lake is legendary, and this summer has been legendary for walleyes. Don't miss out. Call Haybell Heights Campground and Resort today to book one of their modern cabins on East Bay. The cabins are furnished with a full bathroom, kitchen, and all the amenities like high-speed internet and are clean following CDC guidelines. Staying at Haybell Heights gives you full access to a private boat launch, fish cleaning station, and beach area. Learn more at haybellheights.com. That's haybellheights.com. Plan your trip to legendary Devil's Lake today. Hi, this is Sporting Journal Radio. Thanks for tuning in on the network by demand, sportingjournalradio.com, or maybe you're watching this on YouTube. Thank you very much. I'm Brett Amundsen, along with Dan Amundsen over there. And our guest now is Jeremy Smith uh, from Linder's Angling Edge. Jeremy, how's it going? Great. Thanks for having me, guys. Thanks for coming on the show. On uh, on a smoky day, I know you're planning on coming up to uh, Tazlin Lake Lodge with us later later this summer, and the good news is there aren't uh, a lot of fires right around Tazlin. It, it's pretty interesting uh J jeremy the there's a lot of fires in canada right now obviously it's been in the news quite a bit and that flight into tazan sometimes you just gotta detour around a little wildfire which is it's kind of a kind of a neat flight anyway but it's pretty wild when you get to see one of those fires from the air like that have you ever have you ever seen that before i haven't flown with uh when there's been an active fire obviously seen the the aftermath of it a number of times but uh, you know the, the wilderness up there is just so vast it's just uh it's amazing how much there is you know that can that can burn and and uh yeah so it's pretty pretty crazy yeah we drove and, into uh, reindeer last year and there was a really long long path that uh, those poor folks right along the road there they just got uh they got nukes so you know there's just nothing to slow it down and there's the resources to put it out are pretty limited way up there yeah and if there's nothing in its path a lot of times they just like let it burn you know let it burn out yeah right let it all happen yep. naturally of course and we can talk more about saskatchewan in a little bit but um there's a couple of reasons i wanted to have you on i wanted to find out what you've been up to i think this is the first is this the first time we've had you on the show it is yeah yeah so i'm excited to be here how does that happen we've been doing this for 11 years how's that well welcome to your first time on the show i appreciate it um got to talk to you a little bit at the at the minfish summit this year at clam and that's one of the main reasons i wanted to have you on because i want to talk about barrow trauma uh because you guys did a pretty big uh, uh project pretty big study on it i want to talk to you about what you found out there uh but before we get into that what have you been up to where have you been fishing well, just uh, around here lately, and so I'm in central Minnesota. Um, last week, we were uh, working with one boats up on Leech Lake doing their annual photo video shoot for the new products that will be released next year. So mostly working, you know, kind of doing the making some commercials up there and then. But we did get to sneak away a little bit and uh, 
uh, fished for muskies for a little while, which of course was like musky fishing, uh, dumped one. That was, that was about it. And then I got a few walleyes too. So it was, it was nice to be up there. And then, uh, uh, this week we're heading to, uh, pack in a day for a trip to Manitoba, uh, um, leaving on early Monday morning. And then uh, we're heading to park falls, Wisconsin, uh, to do uh, the St. Croix 75th Anniversary Customer Appreciation Day this weekend, so Friday, Saturday. So that'll be kind of a fun run, too. Oh, very cool. We over we got to tour the facility over there uh, a couple weeks ago when we were over there mm-hmm. in, in Hayward, spent some time in Hayward, then went over to Park Falls and got, a, got the factory tour. Uh, what a cool story St. Croix is. A neat place over there, neat family, and a lot of history in there as well, too. Uh, and then when, you know, when it comes to that Lund stuff, is that – is that going to be new? Are they going to debut some things? Uh, is there an iCast announcement, or is there anything? Any secrets you can? Can you can you spill the the beans on anything? I I, I can't really spill beans on on anything, but you know, there's a lot of just. This wasn't a huge year in terms of product release. It's kind of a. It's typically been about in every other year when they're really going nuts. And last year was their 75th anniversary, so there was a ton of new product launch with that. So. Mostly a lot of cosmetics, some um, little tweaks here and there on, on some of the boats for a little bit better layout. So they're always working on improving the fishability and, and layout on those boats. So, but sure. uh, yeah, it was, it was, a, it was a good run. So, all right. You know, uh, I want to ask you about something that's been a topic of the show the last couple of weeks too, is, and for, it's forward facing sonar. Dennis Anderson had the article about it, got everybody talking. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've been using live scope uh, heavily a lot this year. I it's, it's for me, it's become, I can't ice fish without some sort of electronics. Now it's just, it just can't do it. And now it's becoming for me for open water fishing uh, a lot of times, depending on what we're doing, of course, but now I want to have my live scope and I want to have, even what, you know, like if I'm in the back of the boat, I'm running a live scope off the side. I say it doesn't matter what you're doing. You're running live scope. Yeah. <laughs> it could be whatever. <laughs> it's there. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I carry, I got in the shuttle. I just carry it around with me. If I'm not in my boat or just carry, carry it around with me and bring it wherever. Um, I, 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 I just find it fascinating. It's like, it's like, uh, you know, having that underwater camera that can, that you can see in murky water, right? Like it's, it's giving you that, that eyesight under the surface. And I've got, um, you know, I, I can see out a couple hundred feet with mine. I've got the plus and, and not, not that it's always, you know, I'm usually looking less than a hundred feet anyway. Um, usually it's 40 to 50 feet, but just being able to see that fish behavior that I never could see before. Uh, it, it's fascinating for me. What, what's been your experience with it and what do you think the future of it is going to be? Well, it's amazing. I mean, like you nailed it, Brett, when you said that uh, it's like you, you can't ice fish without electronics. It's you feel the same way if you jump in a boat now that doesn't have forward facing sonar, you just feel like you're totally, you know, undergunned and you're not set up to do it. So um, I mean, there's so many benefits for it. Like you were saying, seeing what fish do, seeing places fish are, seeing how much they move. Uh, it, you know, there's just so much to learn. And, and also uh, coming back to Canada, I spend a, a, quite a bit of time up there in the summer. And for work, we're often going to places I've never been before. And uh, having forward-facing sonar is an amazing tool for not necessarily finding fish but understanding how the habitat is laid out so anybody who's spent any time on the canadian shield knows that you go to a spot for the first time if the water's not real clear there's a good chance you're going to grind your trolling motor on the rock that's sticking up there you're going to end up on top of a beautiful weed saddle where the fish should actually be sitting but i've got mine on the trolling motor so having that perspective of seeing what's out in front of me 100 feet allows you to position the boat uh perfectly on this structure like you fished it for a zillion years and I used to go through these spots you know and every time you hit the edge you'd, you'd drop a waypoint drop a waypoint and you weren't necessarily using your sonar then to navigate a, a piece of structure you're using your GPS and the waypoints you laid out because a lot of those structures you know are, are really sharp drops and and if you get on top of it you're way too close so you start laying those icons and now I'll just drop a waypoint in an area if i saw a fish or school of fish or bait or whatever it is and i'm not laying down 30 waypoints on a big structure like i like i used to so it's you know that among many things is is incredibly powerful what do you think about them being banned in the muskie tournaments and then could you see them following suit say in some walleye tournaments or bass tournaments or other fishing contests 
Yeah, I mean, I think, um, you know, I, I was listening to a podcast, I think it was like Muskie 360 or something like that. And they had this argument. This was like a, a year ago. And um, um, muskies are really vulnerable to it, particularly like, like right now in June, there's a lot of fish that uh, go out over those deep basins and they can be down 20, 30, 40 feet. And, uh, you know, they're, they're really easy to see. They're big fish and, and people targeting those fish, you know, can do a lot of damage. Not only is there barrel trauma effects from catching fish that deep, but I'm sure there's some, you know, thermal stress too coming from cooler water up to the surface. It might be in the low to mid seventies, uh, like we're at right now. So there's certainly some, some issues with musky fishing, but getting back to it, you know, um, I don't know that you're going to stop the industry, you know, technology is going to keep going and, and, uh, if it's a professional tournament, you know, the, the professionals are going to use the the best tools that are available to them to compete at the highest level. So I don't necessarily see that happening. And I'm kind of in between that. I, I love it. Um, I love using it, but I also um, still have this appreciation for, you know, just going out and using your eyes, looking at signs of life, seeing what's happening within the ecosystem to try to figure out how to find these fish. And, and now if you're good with forward facing sonar, you don't necessarily have to have this uh, perspective of seasonal movements of fish, why fish might be in a certain area, how they transition. It's just a matter of going out and, you know, hunting wherever you see targets and, and throwing at them. I'm not saying it's just easy, like it's a layup, you can catch fish, but um, um, it's definitely fishing now is much different than it was when we were younger oh yeah a hundred percent and i yeah i mean it's definitely made life a little bit easier <laughs> there's no question yeah. about it and i'm still a firm believer yeah. in uh not blaming the tool for a lot of things you know if, if a fish just gets mm -hmm. stressed or if somebody uses it to catch a musket out of 40 feet or a walleye or whatever and there's barrow trauma i blame the person and not the tool uh, in that situation, but you're right. Technology and the money behind it and in, in the industry, when you're talking about, you know, billions of dollars in the, uh, in the economy of the outdoor space, there's going to think some things are just always money talks. Some things are just going to happen. You I bet. mean, it's like crossbows on the hunting side. I, I guarantee you that was, uh, that was a lot of money coming from the crossbow lobby that got got crossbows legalized in Minnesota. I don't see a, a, a ton of people out there clamoring for the use of crossbows during the entire archery season, but that's, that's a, that's a whole nother topic that uh, we don't need to get into. But um, I, I just, I, when it comes to, I know in, in forward facing sonar can, can also frustrate you because you might be able to mark fish and they, they still won't bite. Like they're not always going to bite just because you see mm -hmm. them on live scope. And that can be a frustrating thing. It can waste some time, but I enjoy that learning process of seeing what they're doing. Are they, you know, what are they relating to? What's their depth? Like we've, we can't, I've kind of talked about this story a little bit. Dan and I were fishing and we came across a school of walleyes that had we not been using that type of technology, we never would have found them. Uh, we might've, might've ran through there with a Lindy rig or spinners or something and, and picked a few off here and there, but like, Oh, you know, hit a waypoint, there's fish there and turn around and do the line again or drift through it or whatever. But they were, they were not on the bottom, the, not the whole time we found out they kind of moved up and down. They're very fluid. Like there, there really wasn't a lot of structure there that they were relating to necessarily. Um, other than that part of the lake we found. And there were, there was a few pieces here and there, but for the most part, they were just kind of roaming around. Like we thought they were a school of crappies at first uh, because they were yeah. 10 feet down and five feet off the bottom. Like they were in, and I've got some pictures that I've taken of the, of the screen and I've counted, you know, 30 some fish, 30 to 50 fish, and they might be 50, 60 feet wide and 10 feet tall, but suspended in a sense. And they would never let us get within 30 to 40 feet of them. Generally, as we were, we were moving towards them with the trolling motor, we had to stay generally about 30 feet away from them or else they would, they would move off and we'd have to find them again and chase them down. But then we were, we were pitching jigs into them. You'd see the, you'd see the whole school come screaming up at them. And <laughs> at, at first we thought they were crappies. And then Dan, what did you do? Well, I, uh, I always like to keep a jigging wrap tied on, on one rod just for this reason, just because anything will bite a jigging wrap and so i happened to pitch one in there and when i saw a golden walleye come out of the school i, I kind of freaked out a little bit <laughs> yeah <laughs> we pitched back into him back into him back into him and had uh had quite the afternoon smallmouth turned walleye fishing it was uh, a ton of fun 
Yeah, and we didn't fill yeah. the live well necessarily with any more fish than we might have had we just gone back and through there, you know, pulling a spinner or pulling a crank or something like that. I mean, it's not like we absolutely hammered walleyes, but we caught them in a new way and found them in a new way. It was a blast. I enjoyed it. I want to go do it today. <laughs> I'll go back up and do it now. So, uh, oh no, that that's so cool. And, and to your point, what's so amazing is is that you're talking about those fish being suspended and they, they're just not going to let you get close to it. So running around with 2D sonar, there's so many times when they're just going to avoid, they're going to avoid boat. you and you're not going to see them with that stuff. So you might be in an area that's loaded with fish and we've probably been in those areas for a long time and you drive through and you're like, oh man, there's nothing here. But sometimes they just don't want you to, to get close to them. And now you can see what's happening. I mean, I've seen this, this same thing over and over, like a, great eye opener when I first started using this stuff was um, fishing open water for muskies and walleyes. And, you know, you're thinking that a lot of time this bait is down 15, 20 feet. Oh, the baits really come up. It's up to, you know, 12 feet now. Well, you put forward facing sonar down when you're trolling and sometimes you realize, wow, the bait is like way up. right at the surface. It's yeah. like two, three, four <laughs> feet under the surface. And I'm just getting a glimpse of them as the boat is spooking them and pushing them down. So you might be fishing way too low, you know, and these fish might be way higher. The fish can be off of, you might be fishing a structure and the fish are cast behind you. Like, like you said, you just learn all of these things. And so much of what we thought to be true might necessarily not be true. And fish use way more of the water calm, way more habitat. They're in different areas than I think a lot of us ever realize it's at certain points in time. So do you think that, because obviously it's allowing us to learn more about these fish. It's giving us a better glimpse into, you know, how to fish for them and how they're reacting. Do you, do you, I mean, do you think this is going to put more pressure on our fish? Do you think they could see reduced limits ultimately because of this? Or what do you think this effect might be? Well, I guess I, I can't predict the future, but I, there's just no way that um, it's not going to affect fisheries and fishing. I mean, you, you see it now already that uh, in a lot of cases, if you shine fish with forward facing sonar, they, they run away from it. It just makes you uh, a better angler. We do this uh, event every year on Leech Lake Lund's ultimate fishing camp. And uh, there's a bunch of just great guides from Leisure Outdoors. Tony Roach is there. And these are the guys that, you know, they fish walleyes basically every day for a living. And the guy's talking about their experience as a walleye guide, you know, trying to trying to send people home with fish with forward facing sonar. In many cases now, it's like people would book for a day and their goal might be to just get some fish to eat. And well, they're done by nine in the morning and, and these guys are setting up the boat. So they've got access to the forward facing sonar so they can see what the guide is seeing. And it makes the experience that much more interactive. They're that more effective at catching fish. Now you can start to do a couple trips a day, you know, to fill people out with fish. So yeah, and, and you know, coming circling around to the this barrel trauma thing we did with crappies, there isn't a greater example of how effective this tool is than basin crappies in the wintertime when you can, you know, cut a hole, look around you and say, Oh, look at the fish are, you know, 30 feet over there, 25 feet down. And and again, back to behavior, uh, many times when you would punch a hole, the fish would uh would run from you. So by the time you got your flasher down there, your, your 2D sonar, the fish were gone, but they might be 20 feet over there, but we never knew. So you could drill a whole basin out and think that they're not there. And now instead you drill one or two holes, you find where they are, you drill out around them, and then you can just, you can just circle the noose and it's not that hard to, to catch them anymore. At Barotron was a, as a serious deal and I'm glad to see some research being done about it. Uh, how did you get involved and, and what did, you know, what did you guys do? Well, this is really, I got to give Mike Hainer credit for this. He's a coworker of ours. He's a producer, a videographer, and really a, a panfish nut. And he's been on that panfish uh, work group or technical committee. I forget what their term is for it now, but he's been on that for a long time. And, and uh, so barotrauma has been a concern of that panfish group and particularly with Mike for many years. And uh, he really pushed this through that group saying, this is something we got to look at, especially as more and more folks were getting the 2D sonar or the forward facing sonar into their hands. That we, you know, we got we to look at what the effects are, um, you know, maybe consider this 
or sent some messaging that this might not necessarily be uh, go out and catch as many fish as you possibly can, that we need to, to get an education program going here to show people targeting fish in deep water isn't necessarily a catch and release fishing game. It's often, you know, often just from catching the fish, it's dying. So more of a harvest opportunity rather than a sport fishing event. The uh, depth that people think barotrauma can occur at is, uh, has been debated slightly. What did you guys find in your research? Well, it was, um, so the, the first, we, I was on two of the three projects that they did. Um, first one was in North Central Minnesota. We were in a basin that was 40 to 42 feet deep. The fish were down around 30 feet. And uh, there was, you know, just these are rough numbers. Don't anybody hold these, you know, but roughly a third of the fish we caught from 30 feet in a 42 foot basin were basically DOA, dead on arrival. About a third of them looked like they had some pretty serious signs of barrel trauma. And about a third of them appeared to be okay. So, I mean, this, this could obviously change and there's some factors that might influence it. So what, what we did is um, we found a large school of crappies. We cut a hole in the ice that was, uh, you know, about six foot by six foot. And we had one of those big hoop nets. You can kind of see it in the bottom left there. And that ran the length of the, the water column. So it went from the surface all the way to the bottom. And so the fish were just uh, basically right behind us. So we could very quickly catch a fish, bring it over, measure it, um, fin clip it, put it inside the, put it inside the net and then uh, see what would happen. So <clears throat> some of them would go down, some of them would go on the surface, some would go down like 10 feet. Um, but the really interesting part to me, the takeaway was like in the morning, which we didn't really quantify, when we went into the tent, there were a lot of a lot more fish than we counted were on the surface. This was both on the shallower basin and the deeper basin we did. But when we opened the door to the tent and let some light in and started moving around, it spooked a number of the fish and they went back down. So if you would have considered if those fish were caught and released and then floated up, what is the probability that something is going to then spook them 24 hours later? So during that process, they might have been able to do some gas exchange and were healthy enough to get back down. But at the same time, they could have been frozen into the bottom of the ice. So it was hard to really measure that, you know, a, a, so you quickly saw that for just a brief second that, oh man, it looked like there was, you know, 20 fish on the surface here when we opened the tent uh, on the second round. And then when you, you look, you, you go to measure it, there's only two that are dead. The rest went down. So was that really only, you know, a couple? fish that that died or was it could it really get it done what was the shallow when you you said you fish deeper and then you also fish shallower what was your depth for the shallower uh study so i want to say that shallower basin was around 25 feet yep yep 20 and the fish were down about 18 18 20 something like that so and they still showed signs early on that uh that there was you know they were having a bit of a hard time so Really, in um, 18 feet. Really. Yeah, you just got to be. Yeah, and you know, that's the other thing that you have to consider is that you don't know where the fish has been. Mm. Um, so in that particular area, they were in a relatively shallow basin, but those fish, you know, could have, it's 25 feet deep. So could some of the fish been resting in 28 or 30 feet deep, not far away, come up to 18? You, you kind of see what I'm getting at. So yeah. just because they were caught in that depth doesn't mean that they they've been there for an extended period of time. So did you figure, were you able to determine like how long it would take? Uh, you know, some, some people will say, you know, if you catch a fish deep, you just reel it up slowly and that maybe, maybe that would work with a lake trout, but not with a, a crappie or a walleye. They're built differently. If you bring up, uh, you know, if you bring them up slowly, that doesn't work is what you found. And then, when you say a fish might've been in 30 feet of water, but caught in 18, how did, were you able to determine like how long you think that might, that fish might need to be in that 18 foot area before it's, uh, uh, got itself situated uh, right for gas and, uh, so forth. I'm not sure how to explain that. Yeah, <laughs> you know I what would, I'm saying? 
You know, I, I kind of understand what you're saying. And so to kind of address it, what, what you're asking is that, so if a, a fish is in deep water, its air bladder is compressed and it comes up shallower, that air bladder expands. And the only way for a crappie or a wally or fish that can't burp to release some of that gas that's making their bodies expand and then become buoyant is for that gas to be exchanged through the membrane of the swim bladder. So I don't know the answer to that, and my memory isn't the best, but um, I forget when it was. There was a, uh, a project done on Rainy Lake with smallmouths on a, on a fall bass tournament. And if I remember correctly, I believe the, the folks who did that survey estimated that it was roughly a, a, like a six-hour time frame or something like that. It, it might have been even a little bit longer for that for this for them to, to write themselves. So it's not it's just not going to happen by reeling them up slow, you know. Right. And the the secret I, is if you can get them back down. Yeah. That I know the question came up at the Minfish Summit and I think your answer was yeah, if you you reel reel it up slowly if it takes you yeah, you'd have to reel it up for 6 hours or something like that for, <laughs> for it to work. So uh, yeah. Well, well, and a good testament to that. Sorry to cut you off, Brad. No, but was, right. when we pulled the fish up to look at them, we did uh, three foot. We, we moved the fish vertically three feet every five minutes. So it took over an hour for us to get the net from the, the bottom back up. And so what ended up happening was when those fish that were near the bottom and we could tell where the fish were in the net with the forward facing sonar and also with a camera to just kind of examine where the fish were positioned in the net. Um, once those fish hit about 10 feet, when the, the bottom of the net was starting to bring them to the surface, they just turned on their sides and floated up. So, you know, they had, at this point in time, they had 45 minutes to acclimate from that depth we were catching them at, and they still experienced the barrel trauma. So nobody's hmm. going to reel in a 10 inch crappie for. <laughs> right. Hours, right. I think, I think that's one of the most eye opening uh, moments of that research. I think for, for me and for a lot of people, uh, is that you just, you cannot bring them up slow, uh, slow enough to get them to regulate fast enough to bring them up from that, that type of depth. And then for people that have done that and they see that swim bladder, they might see it coming out of the mouth or in the throat there, the fish, um, people have, have fizzed those fish. That's obviously not a, uh, an option. That's not something that's going to help the fish. It might get them down to the bottom, but what, what's going to happen mm -hmm. to them once they're down there, the hole in their, in their swim bladder. Um, mm -hmm. uh, but then there's also, uh, descending <clears throat> devices, um, that can work again. I think they, you could use them for a fish like a lake trout that can, that can burp and expel gases as they come up. But I mean, if someone's going to catch a fish that deep, you're just going to tell them they got to keep that fish basically, right? I mean, that seems to be the, the best the best case scenario. But, it, you know, at the same time, I, I, I think it's important, and I don't know this, right? This is, I'm speculating here, but it seems like a lot better idea. And this, this will happen to anybody who fishes a lot. That you might catch, you might be crappie fishing, and your intention is to go catch, you know, five fish and be done with it. Well, uh, uh, a, a walleye in the slot happens to swim through there and you catch yeah. it or really a beautiful trophy fish that you don't necessarily want to harvest, but doesn't want to go down. Um, having a descending device with you certainly seems to be something that would be effective to increase the odds of that fish surviving. So um, I just carry a, a, a piece of lead in the boat. I've got like a one pound piece of lead with a little upside down uh, flipping hook on it with the tip tip pitched off and I just put that in the bottom of the jaw of the fish and you just drop it down and it'll pull a 30 pound muskie down or it'll pull a small fish down. And I'm not saying that that's, that's the answer, but you know, what's happened to me option. plenty of times. I mean, I've had, I've had 40 inch muskies that uh, bit a bucktail in a weed line that appear to have barrel trauma. You know, they just, they seem healthy, but they can't write themselves. So having a tool like that, you know, forward facing sonar, you get them down to depth, you'll feel them shake and you see them swim away. So you feel better. And I think the less exposure they have to the surface, the better off they're going to be. It might just be the swim bladder expanded for a short period of time, and that's just making them uncomfortable. But as more time goes on, capillaries converse, you see some hemorrhaging, all of those things. Um, so the, the, the key is 
if you do happen to catch a, a big fish in deep water and you want it to be back safely, if you can get it to go down on its own right away, awesome. But if you don't, the quicker you can have that fish get some pressure on top of it, it's, it's just more likely going to have a higher chance of survival. Did you guys try one of those in that study? We didn't do one of those in the study, but we did fizz uh, some of those fish. Um, and again, credit to Mike Hainer there. He, he just wanted to kind of debunk the whole fizzing thing. So we fizzed seven fish. We caught 50 uh, fish as part of the uh, control. And, and by the way, you know, just to look at how easy it is with forward facing sonar, you know, we caught 57 fish for this deal and 45 minutes or whatever it was. Right. So, it, you know, it really goes to show you that it's not, you know, when they're concentrated like that, they're super vulnerable. You know, yeah. it, you, you could just do a ton of damage to those fish. Um, but uh, seven of seven died from fizzing hmm. and yeah. it's uh, not something that's legal in Minnesota either. So um, yeah, don't, don't fizz is the takeaway. Yeah, for sure. And we have, we've done it with Lake Trout where we've done the same thing. We've, Tip, we'll take a jig and rip, put it upside down and put a bunch of weight on it, drop them down to the bottom and pop it out. And it seems to have, uh, seems to have worked. We didn't have uh, forward facing sonar to check on them afterwards until this year, this year I'm bringing it up there. I'm pretty excited about it, but um, uh, yeah, oh, yeah, but yeah, that, so Dan showed that sequelizer on the screen. There are devices you can buy. I think that was on a Cabela's website or something like that. So there are some, there are some devices mm -hmm. out there that you can buy that might, might, might make it a little bit easy, but you don't need to have one of these to do it, you know, no. just, just get no. some, some weight and get them down to the bottom and then make sure you use something that you can pop the hook out of pretty easily. This is all it is. So this is just basically, um, everybody can see that. It's like an Aberdeen style hook. It's probably a seven or eight odd hook. Barb is pinched down. The tip is clipped. So the tip of this is really dull. I've got a snap on here. So you could just tie or put a piece of wire along the shank of the hook for a snap. So that way this, this snap I can put on my, my fishing line. So if this is the, the mouth of the fish, I'm going to set the hook here. And then I've just got a bunch of lead on the bottom of this thing. So this just drives the fish down. Super easy, clip it on, clip it off. I always have this thing with me in the boat. And, uh, you know, even Lake Trout, like you said, Brett, you know, they can burp, but I've had it too, where sometimes they don't and they're laying on top and it's, you know, you, you want them to go down and it's just a, it's a handy tool to have just like a bolt cutters would be for safety in your boat or a net or anything else. I think, you know, as we, we become more educated about this, it should just end up being a tool that everybody should probably have i'm not saying it's the answer to everything but it might save some some trophy fish in the long run yeah and some bycatches for sure um mm -hmm. yeah you know a lot of times when we've seen lake trout do that it's not that they couldn't you know because because when we, if we're fishing deep for these big lakers we'll we will bring them up slow and watch for air bubbles so we try to watch them mm -hmm. you know regulate as they come up but it, inevitably uh, you'll have a fish that, that can't do it or a client will maybe reel a little fast or whatever. But most of the time when that happens, it's because they're, they're, as they're trying to regulate, they're regurgitating. And well, I remember the first big one I caught had like a 20 inch lake trout caught in its throat. <laughs> so the airway was oh, a little plugged. A little black passage. <laughs> <clears throat> but you know, they're just so That's aggressive. So crazy. They're so much fun. And, and I want to talk about lake trout in Saskatchewan here in a second, Jeremy, but you oh. talk about, pressure to catch fish i mean if you're in a tournament or if you're a guide trying to get fish for your clients but man i could see it if you got a whole research team out on the ice and you got you got to catch some fish for a study like this was there were you feeling the pressure a little bit obviously it worked out well for you <clears throat> well a little bit so the the first lake we picked was a lake that i it's really near where our cabin is so I fished it forever. I, I knew that there was a lot of fish there. So I wasn't too nervous that we'd be able to get them there, but, uh, um, and, and it was early in the ice season. So the fish were biting, but the second project was done on Osakis and, uh, I hadn't been over there. Mike had run over to check it out and he caught some fish, but they were tougher to catch there. There was lots and lots of them, but uh, it was a little later in the year, kind of that midwinter when things start to get really, really tough. So we definitely earned those, uh, earn those fish on that second run. And that was a, a bit stressful. It started out hot and heavy, like, Oh, sweet. We'll be done in another hour. And then, uh, then the, the brakes came on and it took us quite a bit longer to, to get it done. So, 
Well, it just goes to show you, even with guys that know how to fish and the latest technology, it can be tough to catch them sometimes. <laughs> That's right. Well, Jeremy, I'm excited to get you up to Taz and Lake. Uh, have you, you've done, you obviously you mentioned reindeer. You've done some fishing in Saskatchewan before. Yeah. You know, um, I, I, by the way, am beyond stoked about this. I, I, I love musky fishing. I uh, love catching big fish and big lake trout have always intrigued me. And, and uh, so a trip like this uh, just seems amazing. You know, growing up, seeing pictures of big trout from bear and, Athabasca and Slave and a few other fisheries throughout the, the far north was pretty amazing. But, you know, when you guys started doing that, the media coming out of Tazin, it just seemed like this is the place of places to go get a, a real giant trout. So um, Mike Hainer is going on this trip with me along with Jeff Simpson, uh, a co-worker. Um, so two of my great buddies who are also trout heads, uh, we, we are losing our marbles over this, this adventure. <laughs> so when, when do you, do you remember when you first started hearing about it then? Oh gosh. Um, well, Jamie Dietman had, when I first heard about it, Jamie had come into the office, uh, for, I forget what it was for, but, uh, you know, he, he didn't he catch like a 60 pounder or something crazy or it was a yeah. bit like crazy, crazy. 52, big one. Yeah. Big and, one. Uh, or yeah, yeah, whatever. Just, mind-blowing he, fish he might have told you it was 60. <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> right well look at that thing i mean that's just to have an opportunity at something like that is uh oh man it's just amazing just amazing i mean lake trout are just spectacular fish that live in beautiful places so um yeah i i, I just can't wait that that may be the best way i've heard it described uh, spectacular fish in beautiful places. That might be the new tagline on the Taz and Lake Lodge website. That's a, that's perfect <laughs> because yeah. I mean, that's what it is, you know, fishing these, these, I, I say we have two apex predators in our, in our lake up there, Northern Pike and Lake Trout. Like they both just eat whatever they want a lot. Yeah. There was my first big one. That's when we pulled, we were filming that for wow. Northland outdoors and we, we pulled it like a 20 inch lake trout out of its throat and uh congratulations i mean that was an amazing yeah it was an it, amazing fish an amazing was, fish but and you know growing up in minnesota you you know there's some opportunities for lake trout uh i know a lot of guys fish them through the ice or you catch them in the boundary waters obviously got lake superior and some some big fish mm -hmm. opportunities up there but i did not have I did not have an appreciation for lake trout until I went up to Saskatchewan and started catching them on Tazan up there. And it's just like they're on another uh, on another level. And a lot of that comes down to the fact that there's no commercial netting on the lake. Uh, it's very little mm -hmm. fishing pressure, which makes obviously makes a big difference. Uh, it's a catch and release policy on all the big fish out there. And then just a huge amount of forage from burbot to Cisco's and then up other lake trout and pike i mean the best bait that i used up there last year jeremy was the was the 12 inch juvenile pike from live target so we were, oh, really? we were trolling a oh, little cool. pike bait up there and caught huge huge lake trout on it so they're so much oh, fun man. they're so aggressive and you know as we've talked about even after having a couple of pounds of fish in their belly they'll still eat a big bait or a, or a t60 flatfish you know some sort of big aggressive you know bait that's that's wobbling by them they'll they'll just reach out and grab it uh they're just so much fun to catch oh yeah and i mean you've seen it too where they're i mean they can be like any fish too right and of course they can be hard to catch or picky sure. about things at times i mean very much muskiness sense that they're you're just or they come off and they come back and crush it again and they're just oh man they're just so so cool and they're so pretty each fish you know the markings on them are are, are different and those you know sometimes the, the beautiful white fin margins that they have on them and just different modeling or, or you know the, the marks on their sides and yeah colors that different one. colors of them they're Geez, just dark, dark. So yeah, they're they're so cool, you know. And well, it's cool, kind of to the the far north again. I grew up in Minnesota too, and had done a little bit of trout fishing in Northwest Ontario um, growing up. But uh, getting a lake trout up there, you know, we didn't have technology and um, like we do. And it was a it's cool, like wow, you know, got a lake trout, I and mean, that's that's pretty amazing to catch one. And then when you go up there you realize that these are not that huge ones are common but lake trout are an extremely common fish up oh, there yeah. i mean they 
there can be schools of tons and tons and tons. I mean, it's like, you know, it'd be like going to, you know, lax Sewell for, for walleye. I mean, it's like their populations can be like that where there's areas where you can just go catch two to eight pound trout. Well, how many do you want to catch? You know, yeah. you know what I mean? It's, they're not, but, um, well, and it's and cool that's... when they're not, they're not so rare. They're just, they're everywhere. And they're, those small ones are great. Of course you want to get a big one, but those small ones too are amazing. They're so much fun. And we started sharpshooting them last year on the electronics with walleye gear. I think one, one, we, a couple of clients came up with ultralight rods and they were jigging in, you know, 20, 30 feet of water <clears throat> and catching these two to eight, 10 pound lake trout and just having the fight of their lives on there. Imagine, you know, imagine catching a, a 10 pound walleye and a panfish rod only you give the walleye steroids first. And, uh, you know, it, it's so much fun. And, uh, we had Steve Panaz up there last year and he, he just could not believe that we were finding lake trout in one to two feet of water. Like, uh, somebody, one of the guests last year described it perfectly saying the lake is polluted with lake trout and they're just, they are everywhere. And Pike too. I mean, we, I think we brought a clicker up there last year and our plan was to film an episode of Taz and TV and see if we could break the century mark on either Lake Trout or Pike. And then we just didn't have time to do it. But one of the you, guides did though, like oh, one of our last days, remember that one of the guides, the clients came in, we caught like 140 some fish. They just, oh, that's right. In like one pack, you know, one spot, one spot, they're trolling back and forth, back and forth all day long, just nonstop. All right. Well, uh, Jeremy, looking forward to having you up there in, in Saskatchewan. You're going to have a good time and, uh, tell us what, what have you been up to? What do you got coming out and where can we find you online? Yeah. So we're, we, you know, we're right in the middle of our busy filming schedule right now. So we'll be doing some, uh, next week's Manitoba for me. Al Linder is heading to North Dakota. I think Troy Linder and a team are heading to Ontario. And then, uh, yeah, I got, you know, six or seven, Canadian trips planned this year. And, uh, it's, that's my favorite thing. I love, I, I love fishing, but, uh, Canadian fishing is something that I just absolutely live for. It's my, my favorite thing to do in the world. So we'll be doing that. And we do that for uh, Linder's angling edge. So you can check out our content at uh, anglingedge.com. We also have a show called angling buzz that's airing now. So that's a really timely show where we're getting content that's happening around the Midwest airing it uh, at basically as it's happening that's available on valley sports or you could also look at it on our uh, youtube channel so angling edge and angling buzz are where to find us all right very good uh jeremy smith thanks for the time today on the show man we'll see you in, we'll see you in saskatchewan thank yeah thank you can't wait man did you know there are more than 1,000 lakes in ottertail county yep and i'm gonna fish as many as i can i'm an outdoorsy otter nothing beats a full day of fishing for me the lakes of Ottertail County give me plenty of options to lower my boat and snag the perfect catch. Not an outdoorsy otter? No problem. Ottertail County has something for everyone. You just need to find your inner otter. To find your inner otter, go to ottertaillakescountry.com. Live Target, the leader in Match the Hatch, is back with new lures that also match the action. Introducing the Live Craw. The Live Craw is irresistible to bass, walleye, and other freshwater species. FTEX winner, the ultimate frog, looks and acts just like a swimming frog. With an exposed ultra point mustad hook and replaceable legs, the ultimate frog has two styles, two sizes, and eight colors. And ICAST and FTEX winner, the live shrimp, mimics a fleeing shrimp for saltwater anglers. Coming soon from Live Target. Northern Minnesota's Walleye Factory is a year-round world-class fishing destination. The perfect getaway this summer is just a short drive to Lake of the Woods. Fish Big Traverse Bay, the Rainy River, or visit the unique Northwest Angle. To catch big fish, you have to go where the big fish are. Plan your trip to Lake of the Woods at lakeofthewoodsmn.com. That's lakeofthewoodsmn.com. Hi, this is Sporting Journal Radio, and it's time once again to talk to Joe Henry from Lake of the Woods Tourism about that big walleye factory in northern Minnesota called the Walleye Capital. Joe, how you doing? Hello, Brett. What's happening? Man, it's been uh, it's been a good summer already. We've we've been able to get up to Lake of the Woods. I've been up there a couple of times. Dan's got one more trip up to Lake of the Woods than me. 
I'm a little jealous, ready to go back. We, we actually, so we were up there a couple of weeks ago filming an episode of Prairie Sportsman that you'll see next season about a group of guys that have, have been taking a fishing trip, an annual fishing trip. It started off as a, an employee relations trip with a bunch of guys from 3M and they've been taking these trips now for 30 some years. The last few years they've been up at Arneson's and they're, my dad is 83 and I think he's the oldest guy on the trip. And there's already been a couple of the mainstays that have, that have slowly dropped off and they're, they're worried that the trip is, is slowly coming to an end as, as guys get a little bit, get a little bit older. And, um, uh, so it, it's, it's kind of a neat story to see how they still like to give each other a hard time yet. At the same time, they're so grateful that this trip has gone on for so long. And uh, that, that you know, Arneson's is obviously was a great place for them with a ni- nice facility there. They did rent a boat, but uh, they also went out on, uh, on one of the charter boats. So it, it was nice and it, and it worked out perfect because they ran their own boats for a couple of days when we had really nice weather. And it just happened to work out when the, when the weather turned a little bit, it got a little bit windier, it rained a little bit. They're on a, they're on a charter boat. So they're able to get out of the rain a little bit and still get out and and fish and fill the live well full of fish and and have a nice fish fry so it was uh it was kind of a perfect option for that group of guys to go up there yeah it's a it's a great story um that that story has so many really um i I guess almost deep life meanings doesn't it i mean you know um my uh my 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 cousin my my best buddy and my fishing uh, my fishing partner for tournaments passed away about a year and a half ago um, of COVID. And I'll tell you what, uh, you know, you, you think about things like that happening. You think about people getting older where they're no longer able to fish. And you know, these, these fishing trips, these traditions, and uh, making time for them, uh, planning them on purpose by design. You know, uh, um, and, and as people get older, it's tougher and tougher bringing your own boat, battling the waves, having an eye on uh, navigation, on the weather you know, docking your boat, pulling your boat out, all these things. And and that's where jumping in with a guide or a charter boat for some people makes good sense. I think it makes sense in a lot of cases, Brett. You know, I think um, in some cases, people don't have a boat. Some cases, people are intimidated by the big waters of Lake of the Woods. Yeah, so for some people, they're on vacation. They want it to be easy. I have to tell you, I'm a licensed charter boat captain. I have my own 20-foot walleye boat. But there's times when I film a TV show to show the, the charter experience. It is so nice just to have a cup of coffee and step aboard that boat, have a, a licensed charter captain that's at the helm. I don't have to worry about a thing, but just focusing on the people in the boat and having a nice time. And in this case, shooting a TV show. But you, you know, my point is, it's really nice. There's a lot of people that don't know how to fish. You go on a charter boat, you're going to catch walleyes. The bottom line, you will catch walleyes. Rods, reel, tackle, bait, licensed charter captain, they're all included. You step on the boat at about eight o'clock in the morning. You uh, uh, they fish you all day. They'll take you where the fish are, wherever that might be. That might be the angle, might be on the big basin. And then, you know, they bring you back in at five o'clock, and uh, just in time for happy hour for you to go back to your cabin and relax or whatever. They clean your fish for you, and if you want, the resort will even cook them. And then it's about relaxing. It's about being on vacation, and it's about getting uh, creating memories for people who want to create fishing memories but maybe don't have the know-how, the equipment, the energy, whatever. It's about being successful, relaxed, and having a good time. It it was funny and somewhat humbling for us, Joe, one day out there. We were on, uh, on a reef, and there was, I don't know, six or seven boats, and we're all kind of running a line, trolling around the structure or drifting across it. And we're running two live scopes and we're pulling spinners. Oh, should we pull spinners? Should we, should we pitch jigs? Should we drag jigs? What should we do? And we're, we're doing all this, you know, deep analytic fish brain thinking and we're picking fish off. And the whole time we're doing this, trying to, should we go on the outside of the reef? Should we go across the top of it? Should we, you know, hit the backside? Should we, you know, how should we attack this reef? And the whole time we're doing this, there's one charter boat just anchored in one spot right off the reef and and they're just probably jigging with a a gold jig and a shiner and they're just oh oh there's another one oh they got the nut out again oh oh there's a 28 that they just put in the boat <laughs> like the most basic approach to it and just smashing fish uh you know and that's that's 
that's a, the, not only the experience of a charter boat captain, but that's sure. also the confidence of a charter boat captain. And I, I think here's the other funny part about that. A charter boat captain doesn't want to take novice anglers drifting over a rock pile with spinners. <laughs> probably wouldn't yeah. be good. Yeah, that's so, probably true. So that's also a little bit of an ingenuity <laughs> there too, you know. But um, but no, and it, it's true. And, you know, I one of the one of the Facebook posts that we put up, we have a very active Facebook um, site at Lake of the Woods Tourism. And, uh, you know, one of the photos we put out this spring that got the most traffic, I was fishing with Larry Smith, and we were fishing in the spring of the year, fishing for sturgeon. And we were right next to a, like a 16-foot lund with two young guys. One of the guys, it was his first time up in the Rainy River, and they got like a 60-plus incher. And we, we, I took a picture of them holding that fish together. And it was in a 16-foot lund with like a basic locator. And that darn photo, because they're in a classic lund without the bells and whistles, and you know how many comments there were about, oh, you don't need a $100,000 boat to catch walleyes or surgeon, yeah, huh? There it is. You know, and there it is. And, you know, but I mean, it was just kind of interesting. And uh, um, and there's nothing, I mean, there's nothing uh, nothing against having a nice boat in, in the, the latest and greatest. It's just that the point is you don't have to have it. You know, back in the day, I'll tell you this, it's kind of interesting. Back in the day, you remember when we did, um, we, we, you did that show about the old timers on Lake of the Woods and the old mm-hmm. way of fishing and stuff. Well, back in the day, a lot of times uh, you'd be marking up a tree over here and a resort over here or a rock pile, and you'd be going out trying to find an area. And what these guides would do is without electronics back in the day, they would take a like a, a rock on a rope or, or a brick on a, a rope, and they'd lower it down until they felt hitting, hitting rocks, hitting a hard reef. Then they knew where they were there. So then they might throw a marker or a buoy out, and then they'd fish around that reef, whatever part of the reef they happened to find when they marked it. But think about that compared to where we are now. You know, you know, Arneson's is a, a great resort. We taught, You mentioned Arneson's, but I'll tell you, we got about, uh, uh, I think we have 68 different lodging facilities. <laughs> yeah. You include... You know, uh, sleeper fish house businesses, Airbnb, VRBOs, hotels, and resorts. Some of our some of our resorts, Brett, are uh, they're, they're bigger. They got all the full service bar, restaurant, charter boats, you know, and the whole ball of wax. We got some we got some resorts that are very you know, you, you bring your own boat and you fish there. They're they're clean. They're they're neat. They're quaint. They might not have a bar and restaurant, but I'll tell you what, you get a good price on them, and they are very very nice and. Um, and then, of course, we got hotels. I mean, some people like backing their boat up to a hotel room door and having their boat right there, plugged in and right outside their window, you know. So r- really, there's something for everybody. And I, I mention that because we talk about jumping in with a guide or jumping in with a charter boat and who might benefit from that. A lot of people do. At the same time, there are a lot of people that bring their own boats up. And, you know, the first time is always the toughest. You're learning the lake. It's intimidating. Yeah. Trust me, if you go on Lake of the Woods, you're going to see where the boats are fishing. You're going to see what the pattern is. You're going to pick it up pretty quick. Helps to have 10 million walleyes and a whole bunch of <laughs> Well, that's the old joke, right? Like if you want to catch a big fish, you go where the big fish are in uh, Lake yeah. of the Woods. But I, we, Dan and I were talking about that culture a little bit about some of those resorts. And there are we've stayed at a number of them up there. And there are just some great people and some great facilities up there and, and a lot of our favorites. And we don't always get to see all of our friends when we go up there. And that's kind of frustrating. But that's because there, there just are so many neat places. And even if you look at that stretch along the Rainy River, there are so many neat resorts and good people behind those resorts with bars and restaurants that a lot of times, even if we go there and bring our own boat, we'll just, well, let's have dinner here today or let's have lunch there tomorrow and just pop into all these different places. And there's so much history and and people and stories and pictures on the wall. It's really neat to be able to go experience that. Even up at the angle, I know when we've gone up there, Joe, we've bounced around and we'll have dinner at different places or pop in for a beer or whatever here and there. So it it's just the the whole culture behind it is is really neat to go to some of those different places. And um, you know, you can whether you're fishing out of a, a launch or your own boat, it's just uh, you can it, it it you can really do it all any way you want to up there, Joe. Well, and you know, it, it, it's hard as a tourism director, it's hard for me to mention one place because they get yeah. in trouble with the other 67, you know, right. but you, you mentioned Arneson's. So if you start at Arneson's and I want to miss anybody, but you figure from Arneson's, you got Dale's, Dale's on Lake of the Woods. They got nice, big sleeper fish houses you can rent in the summertime with ceiling fans. And they're nice. They're really nice. You can rent those or you can camp there. You got Long Point Resort. You go down the road, you got Zipple Bay Resort. Then you go over to the Bostick Creek area. You know, you got Morris Point. You got Cyrus. You got, you know, um, 
Linder's Cabins, you know, that's just off the water a bit. You got Johnson's Waller Retreat, Kenmore Key, Bugsy's. Um, and then you slide down and you get Wheeler's Point. You got, you know, uh, Wigwam. You got uh, uh, Wheeler's Point. Are you going to go through all 62 of them, Joe, or 68? <laughs> I thought you were just testing me. Well, I thought it was a test. Oh, sorry. But my, my point is, look at all the names that I bet yeah. listeners have never heard of. Right. Well, you know I, yeah, there and and I feel like every time we go up there, we'll see a sign, and be like, "Oh, what what's that place?" I didn't, you know, I didn't realize there was a resort over there. And you found, come to find out, there's a restaurant and a bar in there too, and and the food well, is delicious. Before I was tourism director, you know, I fished Lake of the Woods quite a bit, and uh, you know, I would uh, I would go up there, and um, a lot of times if I got a chance to to, to to blast off on a Friday afternoon or something because of work, whatever. Um, I'd jump on my car and just go. I was all packed up, ready to roll with my collapsible fish house. And what I would do is, back then, they didn't have the internet. That's how old I am. And uh, so what you do is you'd look. I had a guide with all the resorts and phone numbers. And I would start dialing for dollars on the way up. <laughs> and last moment in the winter, it's, it, a lot of times I'd find a place that off the beaten path that would have an opening that I'd never stayed at. You know, it might be Walleye Retreat. It might be, you know, uh, uh, Ship's Wheel Resort. It might be... Two Rivers Resort. I mean, those are probably small places a lot of people have never heard of, but they're there. And you know, that's where our website comes in too, by the way. We got we got all of our resorts on our website. We break it apart at Northwest Angle, South Shore, and Rainy River. And you know, when you take a look at that website, it's all there. Um, and the only reason I say that is because for people that say, you know what? Some people, Brett, they say, we go back to the same place every year. They treat us well, yet we're not leaving. Other people are like, oh, they treat us really well, but we like trying different places just for the experience. It's kind of fun. Heck, other people, they'll stay at a resort, and they might not have a bar and restaurant there, or maybe they do, but what they'll do is they'll say, hey, every night we're here, let's eat at a different resort just to check out the ambiance, check out the menu. Kind of fun. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Joe, fish are biting up there. Uh, spinners, jigs, it's uh, it's a good time to go. Anytime is a good time to go. It, it just always has amazed me when I've gone in the middle of summer when the bite can get kind of tough for walleyes and other places, and it, uh, it sometimes gets better in July and August up there at Lake of the Woods. If people want to plan a trip up there, what should they do? Hey, check out the website we talked about, and that is lakeofthewoodsmn.com. Sporting Journal Radio is a division of Macaba LLC. If you've got a question, comment, or story idea for us, send us an email. Go to sportingjournalradio.com. While you're there, you can learn how to advertise on the show and visit our store for hats, hoodies, coffee mugs, and more. Go to sportingjournalradio.com.